It's so good to be up here. Wow, this is, I'm standing here for the first time. This is big. This is a big place. And I don't know if, um, if Pete's here today or, and I know Pastor Dan isn't, but it's really interesting speaking and only seeing your eyeballs, right? I don't, I don't get to see your whole face. And, um, and I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, I wonder, like, um, I don't remember what movie, movie it is, but there's a movie where they talk about, you know, spirit fingers. So I'm like, if I'm saying something alike, you know, I was thinking, oh, they could do spirit fingers, right? Then I know. Um, and then I thought, well, what fingers would they use if I was saying something that they didn't like? And so maybe fingers is just, let's just forget it. Let's just move on. Um, so I am so, so blessed to be here this morning. And uh, last week, if you remember Pastor Dan's sermon, um, Jesus was heading towards Jerusalem. And he was teaching along the way. And if you remember that he healed the woman on the Sabbath and the leader of the synagogue, um, it was a big kerfuffle. And he gave him a lot of harassment about that. Um, and then Jesus was talking about what the kingdom of God was like. And Jesus gave some examples of, um, to help people understand what the kingdom of God is like. And he used the example of a mustard seed and a beast. And in our passages today, Jesus is continuing um, to head towards Jerusalem, and he's continuing to teach about the kingdom of God. Now, in my Bible, and I don't know if your Bibles are the same, um, but in my Bible, and even on some of the versions on the app, when you come to a section of pa uh, passage in the Bible, that sometimes they have this subheading over the top that talks about that passage. And in my Bible, that subheading for this passage that we're talking on today said, the way of the kingdom. And I was thinking about that this week. What is the way of the kingdom? What does walking in the ways of the kingdom include? So let's dig in. Um, before we dig into our passage, though, just let's pray. Lord, we just come before you in your presence today. Lord, speak to us. Lord, that these are not my words, Lord, that they would be yours. Holy Spirit, just come, anoint this place, open our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive what you would have us take away from this today. We love you, and we honor you, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's take a look, and we're going to be in Luke 13, um, and this is verses 22 through 35. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and, and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. And people will come from all over the world, from east and west and north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be the least important then. 
And at that time, the Pharisees said to him, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. And Jesus replied, go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and the third day I will accomplish my purpose. Yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day I must proceed on my way, for it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So these are not light and fluffy passages that we are reading here today. Um, There is some pretty heavy teaching going on, and Jesus has some very direct things that he's trying to communicate to the people here about what the ways of the kingdom are. And so, of course, right away, Jesus gets to field a question in verse 23. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? So this gentleman sounds like maybe he's asking this question out of concern, but it probably was more of a smug question because the understanding among the Jewish people was that unless they were really, really horrible, they would be saved. They were God's chosen people. Gentiles could possibly get saved if they converted and did a bunch of things. And so perhaps the gentleman was looking for this confirmation that because he was Jewish, he was all good. He was in the cool kids club, nothing else for him to do. But Jesus didn't answer him with the secret cool kids club handshake and say, yep, you're part of the club. And he didn't even answer him with a list of who will be saved. Instead, he turned to the crowd with an answer of self-reflection. He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will try to enter but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. Jesus did not answer who will be saved, but in essence was asking the crowd, will you be saved? He made it personal. He was asking them to look inside themselves first. So a way of the kingdom is one of self-examination. And I really like how the message version um, puts this passage Jesus said, whether few or many is none of your business. Put your mind on your life with God. The way to life to God is vigorous and requires your total attention. A lot of you are going to assume that you'll sit down to God's salvation banquet just because you've been hanging around the neighborhood all your lives. Well, one day you're going to be banging on the door wanting to get in, but you'll find the door locked and the master saying, sorry, you're not on my guest list. You'll protest, but we've known you all our lives, only to be interrupted by his abrupt, your kind of knowing can hardly be called knowing. You don't know the first thing about me. So now, as I was getting all, yeah, Jesus, you tell him, it's none of his business, um, I had to pause, because how often do I concern myself about what everyone else is doing or not doing? instead of focusing on what I need to be doing, on my walk with the Lord. 
Am I doing what he called me to do? We can be so quick to point out the missteps of others, but forget to take a look in the mirror at our own actions. And that brings me to another way of the kingdom, and that the way is narrow. And Jesus says this in verse 24, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. The way of the kingdom is narrow. In fact, it is so narrow that there is only one way. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Did you notice that Jesus didn't say, I am a way. He is it. He's the only way. And the way of the kingdom isn't about easy living. It's about people who are willing to turn away from sin, willing to turn their hearts and minds and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The ones who walk this narrow way seek the kingdom with all of their hearts and their minds and their souls and their hearts, and they give up everything to walk through that narrow door. Now, two years ago, Dave and I, um, we went with a group from LifeSpring and two other Foursquare churches to Israel, and it was amazing. It was such a good trip. I know Ryan was on that trip. Grace is here. She was on that trip. Oh, it was so good. Um, and one of the places we visited was Hezekiah's Tunnel. Now, Hezekiah's Tunnel, it's a water channel, and it's carved beneath the city of David, and it brings water from one side of the city to the other, and it empties into the Pool of Siloam. And it dates back from the reign of Hezekiah and Judah, and there's still water that flows through it. Now, on our tour, you could walk through Hezekiah's tunnel to get out, and you'd get out at the Pool of Siloam. And when they were describing this part of the tour, you know, it, it's a tunnel, so it, and it's under the city, so it's dark, and there's water that flows through it. And they kind of said, well, it could be to your ankles, it could be to your knees. So that sounded like a little more adventure than I wanted to participate in. But luckily, there was option B. And option B was what they call the dry tunnel or the Jebusite tunnel. And so I'm like, yes, this is, this is the tunnel that I want. I want the dry tunnel. So a bunch of people went through Hezekiah's tunnel, and then some of us went through the dry tunnel. And so we get up to the dry tunnel, and I'm excited, and we start going through this dry tunnel. And I learned something immediately about the uh, Jebusite people. And Rick, if you could bring up this picture. Um, the Jebusite people were a small, slender folk. Um, they did not have fluffy people in the Jebusite time. And as I'm looking at this tunnel, I'm like, oh my. Um, and I'm trying to assess in my mind, what can I appropriately remove in order to make it through this tunnel? I'm like, okay, I can take off my jacket. I can take off my backpack. Suck it in. I don't breathe. Maybe I can squeeze through. I was just like, oh, I am going to end up on the Israeli news as the lady that got stuck in the Jebusite tunnel. <laughs> um, this is where my mind goes. I was scared. Um, and luckily, on my tour, uh, Terry Juman was with me. And I don't know if Terry's here today, but man, she was my encourager because she was going before and she would peek around the corner and go, Laura, it's okay. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. It's fine. It's fine. And she encouraged me the whole way. And, and of course, you know, I'm not still there, so I made it out. Um, made it out of the tunnel. Um, but man, it was narrow and it was a struggle. 
And I was thinking about those Jebusite tunnels as I read this passage in Luke and thinking about how I was so concerned of the things that I was going to need to get rid of in order to fit. And it made me think, are there things in my life that are extra baggage that I'm carrying around that's making it tough to fit through that narrow door? What is weighing me down, impeding my progress instead of focusing on Jesus? What are the things that we end up carrying that might make it difficult as we strive through that narrow door? Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, harsh words, maybe even the unwillingness to listen to what God is telling me to remove. And Jesus didn't say the way was easy either. Work hard in the Greek translates, um, it's the word agonizomai, which is where we derive the word agonize from. But in this context, it means to engage in an athletic contest or to endeavor with strenuous zeal and strive or to obtain something. Now, Jesus saying work hard here doesn't mean that we obtain our salvation by the works we do. The narrow door cannot be entered by working hard. There isn't a to-do list to check off. It is only by grace through faith in Jesus that we can enter. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But we need to take a look at the things that we might be loading upon ourselves. Anger, worry, anxiety, bitterness. And throw those down at the foot of the cross so we can continue to run this race with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 11, or sorry, 12, 1 through 4 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the Father and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Lay aside every weight. We are running a race. We are fighting a battle. And as we run towards that narrow door, we are fighting against an enemy that seeks to kill and destroy. We battle against a world that pulls at us and says that their way is the right way. And ultimately, we run against our natural love of sin. That is why Jesus is saying that we need to run hard, work hard hard. There was a time that Dave and I, um, we were flying back home here from Boston, and we had a connecting flight in Detroit. And our flight from Boston left about an hour late. And if any of you have ever been um, to the Detroit airport, at least the, the terminal that we pulled in, it's just one big, long rectangle, just this huge, long rectangle. And so we landed, and we looked, and we knew we had about 20 minutes to catch our next flight. And we pull up to this terminal, this long rectangle, and we knew we had to be at gate A1. And we pull up, and there's gate A1. And I'm like, yay, and here we are on the plane. I'm like, yay, A1. And then it went by, and we kept going. 
And I just thought, could you just let us up here, please? But no, no, no. They kept going all the way to the very last gate, gate A31. And by the time we pulled in to the gate, we had 10 minutes to go 30 gates. So we get off of that plane and we are running. Now, I understand that my running and your running is very different. So this was Laura's running as fast as she possibly could go. And we are just booking, booking, booking. And we see, we look up and we see this train, like across, kind of like a monorail across the top of the building. And so we run up the stairs and we jump on the train and it takes us almost all the way to the end. So we get off the train and we start running again and we can see our gate. We can see it. And the flight attendant is standing there and she's yelling at us, are you the Ranows? And I'm like, yes. And she goes, run. And I'm like, sister, I'm running. <laughs> but we're just, so we're bucking and we get on that plane and she shuts the door behind us and we drop in our seat and buckle and that plane took off. We barely made it. This is the kind of striving, agonizomai, that Jesus is talking about. Using everything you possibly can in all of your power to get through that narrow door. Because the door someday will be closed. Jesus says this next. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. The door will close. Those who do not accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior will be shut out. Those who have repented of their sin and accepted Jesus, will walk through the door. But even as believers, we have to keep running and keep striving. We need to lay aside the things that weigh us down, and we have to keep our eyes focused on the way, the only way, Jesus, so we can run this race well. Jesus says this next. This is Luke 13, 29 through 30. And people will come from all over the world from east and west, north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be the least important then. Because you see, the way of the kingdom is different. Remember the Jewish people thought that they were the in-group, right? God's chosen people were in and everyone else was out. But when Jesus came, he came to break down barriers to turn things upside down. And what the Jewish people thought was out, Jesus came and brought them in. The kingdom is diverse. People will come from all over the world to take their place in the kingdom of God. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says this, After this I saw a vast crowd, too many, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And if we are to be walking in the way of the kingdom, we too must be ready to accept that the kingdom is diverse. 
The bride of Jesus is multicultural, multicolored, and multifaceted. The kingdom is made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation. The way of the kingdom also includes those who the world would not regard as great. Jesus said, and note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be the least important then. So a few months ago, I had the opportunity to watch the series, The Chosen. And if you haven't watched it, um, it's an app. You download it. It's free. You can cast it onto your TV from your phone. It is an amazing series about Jesus. It's so good. Um, But one scene that really impacted me was one about Matthew. Now, of course, I've read about Matthew in the Bible, and I knew he was a tax collector and that he became a disciple. But I didn't fully have a picture of what being a tax collector meant to Matthew as a person. See, Matthew was a pariah. He traded his relationships with his family and his friends and basically with the Jewish culture for money. He was working for the very people who were oppressing them. And he also got to take a cut from what he was collecting from the Jewish people. So tax collectors often were making sure that what they collected would give them a good profit. This was Matthew's life. He was wealthy, probably protected by Rome. But he also probably walked the streets with a fear of being assaulted. Certainly, he was shunned. He would not have had one Jewish person that would probably even acknowledge him, let alone befriend him. He would have been utterly alone. But then, Jesus. So let's watch this clip um, of when Jesus encounters Matthew and what the disciples, especially Peter, um, has to say. Matthew. Matthew, son of Alphaeus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're going to throw it all away. Yes.
I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. When I chose you either. But Peter responds, but this is different. I wasn't a tax collector. And Jesus replied, get used to different. The way of the kingdom is different. Different than how you and I see it and certainly different than what the world thinks a kingdom would be. Where the worst offenders receive grace. Where the first are last and the last are first. Where the ones who gain everything are the ones who surrender all. And where a tax collector, the pariah of his people, can find grace, become a disciple, an author, a book of the Bible. Church, we need to get used to different. We have an opportunity now, more than ever, to show what it means as the body of Christ to be different, to be set apart. A few weeks ago in our prayer meeting here, the Lord gave me the word realignment. And I believe in this season, we are seeing God realigning the church to him. He is stretching us out of our comfort zones and maybe our complacency and perhaps even our apathy. I believe it is time for the church to rise up and say, this is what it means to be different. This is what it means to love your neighbor. The church should be setting the example of how to navigate during these times. And Pastor Dan spoke so well. It just resonated and just um, impacted my heart so much last week when he talked about confronting the sin of racism and equality in America and that we should be uncomfortable. We should be uncomfortable, church. Racism is sin and the perpetuation of sin, especially happening in the body of Christ, should make us all uncomfortable. People should be pointing to the church and saying that is what equality and loving your neighbor looks like. That is the kind of different we should be. We should be loving our neighbors so well that they see Jesus in us. We are ambassadors of Christ. And I worry that we are hanging on so tightly to ideology and tradition that we are leaving behind our theology. That we are forgetting who the Lord calls us to be. We need to be asking ourselves, what is my kingdom assignment? 
if the greatest commandment is to love God and to love people, we need to ask ourselves, what does love require of me? The Passion Translation of Isaiah 55.8 says this, For my thoughts are not like your thoughts, and my ways are different from yours. It is time to be on our knees and listening to his voice, earnestly and humbly seeking him. Do we truly mean it when we pray, your kingdom come? Because if we do, then we need to actively participate in showing what God's kingdom is like. And it is diverse. And it is different. Different than the world's version. And quite possibly different than the version that we've been trying to make it be. We have to be willing to act justly. Love mercy and walk humbly with our God. We need to be willing to be different. And even when we face opposition, the way of the kingdom is pressing onward. In Luke 13, 31 through 33, Jesus says, that, or at that time, some Pharisees said to him, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. And Jesus replied, Go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will accomplish my purpose. Yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must proceed on my way, for it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. Jesus was heading to the cross. He was heading toward Jerusalem. He knew exactly where this journey was going to end. But even facing torture and death, he pressed on with no intention of stopping his ministry. And I think it would be fair to say that 2020 has been a season full of trial and troubles for a lot of us. But even as Jesus was aware of the trial he was facing, he stayed focused and pressed onward, knowing full well the price to be paid. We cannot let the things the enemy would throw at us to take us off the way. We are facing an enemy that wants us to give up. He is going to throw everything at us to deter us from the path. We have to stand firm and hold fast. We serve the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will bring us through any trial and any storm, our God does not fail. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9 says this, and this is the Passion Translation. Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. We are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but not out. 
We stand in victory, church. Jesus pressed on, facing torture and death, but knowing that on the other side was resurrection. He knew he would overcome the grave, and Jesus paid that price for you and me, and so as believers, we would have that resurrection power in us. And we need to stand up and declare victory over our trials, victory over our finances, victory over our health, over coronavirus, over injustice, over racism, over oppression. Our God is bigger than anything that the enemy can throw at us. We need to believe that we have the victory and declare it in his name and press on. And the way we overcome whatever it is that we might be walking through is by surrendering ourselves to him. Because the way of the kingdom is surrender. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. For me, reading these verses, I hear the sadness in Jesus' voice, the love that he has for humanity. He equates himself to a hen here, not a soaring eagle or some other powerful animal, but a hen, a mother that will gather her chicks under her wing to protect them, to lay down her life for them. But Jesus is also saying here how you wouldn't let me. And I was thinking how often does our stubbornness keep us from the shelter that the Lord has to offer. We trudge forward just trying to keep doing things our own way under our own power. When if we would just surrender to his will, he will shelter us, he will protect us, and he will comfort us. In our surrender is where we find peace. Could I have the worship team come up? So during this passage, the ways of the kingdom are self-examination, they're narrow, they're different. They're pressing forward in opposition, and ultimately, they're surrender. And church, can we just stop today and take a look at how we are walking in the ways of the kingdom? Are we so concerned with everyone else that we're not taking the time to seek after the Lord, to purify our own hearts? Are there areas that we need to be asking the Lord to strip away things that we have placed upon ourselves that are weighing us down? Are we choosing to engage in the ways of the world? Or are we being different? set apart as Jesus calls us to be? Are we pressing onward when faced with trials or believing the lies of the enemy that we are defeated? Are we truly surrendering to him, allowing Jesus to be our strength, 
and our refuge and our shelter in time of need? Or are we just trying to work things out on our own? And if you're here today, or if you're watching online today, and don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please do not wait. The time is now. Jesus is calling. He loves you. And he wants you to walk through that narrow door. Repent of your sins and ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. It is that simple. Jesus loves us so much, church. I really want you to hear that today, that he loves you. He sees you and he knows you. And he knows the race you are running and he knows the struggles you are facing and he is for you and not against you. He wants you to run and run well. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit as our helper and comforter so that we can endure and fight the good fight. But ultimately, the door will close. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we will enter that narrow door. And as believers, we need to be sharing the gospel now more than ever with a lost and broken world so they too can start running this race with us. And my prayer is this. That in the end, we would have run the race the way Paul puts it. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. sing this song one more time I, uh, I don't think anything pumps me up more than getting to worship with y'all oh there's nothing better than you there's nothing better than you Lord there's nothing nothing is better than you
Thank you so much for worshiping and learning and uh, communing with us today. Thank you, Livestream, uh, Livestream for joining. Thank you, people who came here in person. Thank you once again, Laura, for that amazing sermon. Really, really, yeah. Um, as we're exiting, just a reminder that we only have one exit door. Those doors right back there. Uh, please continue to maintain social distance as we exit the building. Um, if you want to uh, give in person once again today, um, there is a drop-off bin slash basket for your offering. Um, there are also, as mentioned, ice cream sandwiches out there, so be oh, sure yeah. to grab some ice cream sandwiches. That's very exciting. Um, if you are a visitor, uh, once again, there is this welcome center right over there. Very difficult to miss, so go over and visit it if you're a visitor. Uh, you'll get a goodie, as I am told. Um, but before we do any of that, let's all read the benediction together. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and forever and ever. Amen. Have a good week. Amen.